Germany has the plan to phase out coal by 2038. But now we have a more ambitious European climate target. And of course, the European emission trading system will be adjusted. And that will mean that Germany will probably have to phase out coal by 2030, so much earlier. So the European Green Deal, in terms of targets, will definitely have a very strong effect on the whole German targets and, of course, also on the measures to achieve these targets. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. Uh, I'm Hans Koenig. I lead the consulting business of Aurora in Central Europe. I'm joined today by Dr. Brigitte Knopf. Welcome, Brigitte. Hello. So a short introduction before we get into the content. Uh, Brigitte is one of Germany's leading experts on climate change and what can be done to stop it. Uh, she works in energy and climate policy in general, uh, but especially focuses on, uh, on Germany and Europe. Her main job is being Secretary General of the MCC, the Mercator Research Institute on Global Commons and Climate Change, uh, which is quite a mouthful, so we mostly say MCC in Germany. Uh, and the MCC is a leading think tank on the economics of climate change based here in Berlin. Um, prior to joining the MCC six years ago, um, she also spent several years at PIC, uh, the Potsdam Institute of Climate Impact Research, uh, where she also did her PhD in physics. Besides that, she served on numerous expert and advisory panels and was most recently appointed the deputy chair of the German government's Council of Experts on Climate Change, which will be the focus of our discussion today because they very recently uh, issued their first report. And as, and, and as if all that weren't enough, uh, we're also very happy to have Brigitte as a member of Aurora's German advisory board. So really uh, an extremely qualified person to have on the podcast and we're, we're very happy you could find the time. Welcome, Brigitte. Yeah, thank you very much, Hans, uh, for this very nice introduction. Great. So b before we get into the content, we like having a, a bit of a uh, discussion about the personal backgrounds of our uh, of our guests. Uh, so uh, to, to start off with, um, uh, maybe uh, talk, to talk a little bit even about your undergraduate studies, because even then you focused on solar energy, or the, especially the physics of solar energy. Um, would the 20-year-old you uh, have been surprised to find out uh, where you have gotten now? Yes, I think definitely, uh, because I, I never th thought of staying in academia. I was a bit more on the practitioner side uh, in my diploma thesis. I investigated and partly invented um, um, a storage for solar th thermal plants for hot water. So it was more on the practitioner side. So therefore, and staying in academia, that was nothing I, I could think of before. Um, I mean, on the other hand, I was always interested in environment that uh, that interested me from the very beginning onwards, and also in politics, right? So, and and now I have the feeling that I combined both sides. So, climate is more than environment, but but still on on that part, and the other part, um, the, the political part, and and being um, 
kind of advisor and, and being in this kind of process of scientific policy advice. So that's, that's really an interesting position, but I couldn't have thought about it um, um, 30 years ago. Interesting. And what uh, what made you go back? Because actually, after after your studies, you, uh, if I recall correctly, you worked uh, for a solar thermal company for for a couple of years in in R and D, but then but then went back to do your PhD, right? Exactly. That was my experience. Um, I, I was in this R and D um, department of a of a new company, a startup that was quite interesting. But it was the of course the aim of the company to sell their products. And to convince people not to to buy the other products from other companies, and I thought, well, it, it doesn't matter to me which kind of products they buy. I would like to see overall progress in in um, solar power, solar thermal power plants, or solar PV or whatever. So therefore, um, I then thought um, I, I saw a job ad for the Potsdam Institute for for making a PhD in physics, and I thought, well, perhaps this is um, a better place to to be for me. Okay, so 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 your interest was less in the kind of the the competition between one um, one company and a, uh, and another, but rather kind of the system as a whole, which then I guess uh, led you to systems modeling and all the work you've you've done in the in the past 20 years. Exactly, I wanted to understand the physics behind it and also the physics of climate change. So that was more or less the the broader topic of of my PhD thesis. Very interesting. Thanks. And obviously now you're you're at uh, you're at MCC, uh, which is one of the really influential uh, voices in the in the German, but also the wider uh, climate policy debate. Uh, how do you how do you view your role and your institution's role uh, in all this? Yeah. So our aim at at, at MCC is really to combine um, two strands here, and one is excellency in academia in economics and social sciences on the climate issue, right? So it's another direction, not physics, but, but more um, economics. And on the other hand, we want to provide scientific policy advice. So to be policy relevant. And that's, a, um, that's not always easy to combine, right? Because if you want to um, provide excellent research re results, you have to publish in peer reviewed publications and so on, peer-reviewed journals. And on the other hand, to be policy relevant sometimes um, requires to be very fast and, uh, and provide short-term advice. But this is, the, um, this is the aim we have at MCC and uh, I think we are doing a, quite a good job there. And I guess one of the one of the key challenges uh, you've you've mentioned pace and being uh, uh, providing advice uh, quickly when it is needed. Another challenge, at least that we at Aurora come across uh, quite a lot, is uh, simplification, right? Because you, you you have all these complex models, and of course, climate models are uh, are probably still uh, still much more complex than kind of the the energy systems models we, we are working at, and uh, you uh, you. Um, you get you then get policymakers expecting you to give uh, fairly uh, um, uh, fairly clear and kind of yes no uh, ABC style answers. Um, are there any lessons you have uh, you have drawn from doing that for, uh, for, for, for for almost two decades now, which you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, perhaps a few observations. Um, so on the one hand, I, I would agree that um, policymakers always want a very clear answer. They want one number and they want a direction. And we um, try to step back from this a little bit because when you are a modeler, you know that there are 
different assumptions behind it and different pathways uh, that you can pursue. This is our approach for scientific policy advice that we want to lay out different options because it very much depends on the assumptions you have, which pathway you want to follow. So let's make a very simple example. Um, I mean, for the energy transition, I mean, you, you can um, fully um, go for renewables. Or you say, well, nuclear also plays an important role in that portfolio. Or you could say, okay, I want to continue with coal, but then I need um, um, negative emissions and carbon capture and storage. These are very different pathways. And um, we want to lay open the underlying assumptions of these pathways. What are the implicit assumptions of that? And what are the underlying costs and risks? And this is our approach in scientific policy advice, not to give one direction, but really showing the options and implicit, um, sometimes implicit normative values that are also behind it. Policymakers do not always like that. Um, that's also very difficult to communicate. But on the other hand, sometimes um, they see the benefit of that um, because, I mean, in the end, it's the policymaker's choice and, and he or she has to implement um, the options and also uh, discuss it with the voters. So therefore, um, yeah, I think more and more this kind of approach is being acknowledged to, to, to think more in options. Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's a really important point, and it's something we've we're trying to do um, at Aurora. But it's uh, it's of course sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's harder, sometimes people are more receptive to it, sometimes less. But uh, so it's it's continuous work in progress. But uh, but yeah, really important point. Uh, so. Um, I'd like to talk to you about uh, the um, the Council of Experts on Climate Change, uh, of of which you are uh, of which you are the vice chair. Um, uh, but before we get into the details, there um, could you, for the perhaps eighty to ninety percent of our listeners who are not that familiar with German climate policy, uh, give us uh, an introduction on what the Council of Experts is and why it was established. Yeah, perhaps I, I start in, uh, back in 2019, because um, in, in that year, there was a big debate in Germany. Uh, it was quite clear that we do not meet our um, European targets that we have for the sectors like transport and, and buildings. Um, there was also some dynamics from the Fridays for Future movement who called for more ambitious targets and more ambitious climate policy in, in Germany. And there was a whole process during that year in 2019. And the government came up with a whole package, uh, the whole climate package it was called in, in September 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, in, during this process, or one outcome of this process was that this um, Federal Climate Change Act was adopted. So you could say in, in brief, a climate law was adapted. And the core of this climate law, of this um, uh, climate change act, is that there are yearly sectoral targets. So sectoral targets for transport, for buildings, um, for uh, land use, and, and, and so on, also for, for energy and industry. Um, and um, there is a process attached to that, a kind of review mechanism, uh, whether Germany keeps to its own targets. And the role of this um, Council of Experts on Climate Change is to monitor whether the targets are met, to also review the emission data. And if the targets are not met, 
uh, then the according ministry has to, to put an immediate action program on the table. And then the second step is that we as the Council of Experts also check the assumptions um, of that program. So these are the two main parts where, where the expert council comes in, into play in, in this whole climate law in Germany. Um, and also important, the German parliament can also request a report from the council. I mean, this has not been done yet because uh, we were formally um, installed half a year ago and uh, we now um, um, published our first report in April uh, last week. But um, yeah, these are, this is the overall mechanism uh, when the council comes into play. And this is the major role to somehow monitor and control this kind of um, yeah, climate law with these yearly sectoral targets. The, uh, obviously, as you, as you mentioned, the sectoral targets are, are, are a very important uh, part of the logic of how German um, uh, climate change uh, 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 or climate policy works, um, and uh, this is something that, uh, at least, kind of among uh, among economists, is quite controversial because uh, you would get a lot of mainstream economists. Uh, their answer would be, "Okay, just uh, uh, have a carbon price or uh, have a carbon trading scheme, uh, cover all sectors, job done. Uh, no need for uh, for sectoral targets, and they're just going to make things expensive." Um, how how do you view that? Uh, is it is it really like is it really an Uh, an imperfect solution we uh, we have to accept because of uh, because of how politics works or do you see some more fundamental virtues in these in these sectoral targets uh, which which germany has set itself well i clearly see a trade off i mean i i would fully agree with uh, what you said that um we have to think more cross sectoral um wide especially when we think of electrification because then we have a shift From the transport sector more to the um, to the energy sector again. So from an economic point of view, this doesn't make too much sense. But from a political point of view, I mean the, the problem in Germany was that it was always the environmental ministry um, who said, well, we have to increase the targets, we have to do better, and so on. And it, um, they they always felt the duty to deliver the targets, but they did not get the hand on, on, on the really core issues like the transport sector. And so therefore, I mean, this was then the political idea behind it to make, to make the other ministries um, and ministers also responsible to deliver for the climate issue. And this is the idea behind. So, yeah, it's, it's, I, I would say it's really kind of um, trade-off between um, economic um, efficiency and then political economy behind it to deliver the targets. So if the, if the environmental ministry uh, can't get responsibility for decarbonizing transportation, at least you can make the transport ministry responsible for doing that and, 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 and make sure they do something about it, that kind of, that kind of thinking. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's very clearly in the law that they have to deliver this immediate action program then, yeah. and that uh, this has to be um, laid on the table and being presented. So indeed, I, I think what, what really changed now is, I mean, Germany focused a long time just on the electricity sector. And, and now it becomes clear, I mean, we are going towards carbon neutrality by 2050. So now it's, it's really clear that every sector has to deliver. So therefore, I, I, I would think that perhaps this approach with these sectoral targets is um, 
I see it more in, in the time span, like a sequencing approach, right? It's important to, to go on with that for, let's say, another five, six years or so, but then to, to open again the perspective more towards a cross-sectoral, uh, fully integrated approach. To continue on the role of the of the Council of Experts, it is sometimes compared to the to the British Climate uh, Climate Change Committee or the formerly uh, Committee on Climate Change. Uh, can you can you tell us a bit about what the similarities and what the differences uh, to the CCC are? I would say it's um, completely different. Um, I mean, these are two independent bodies, right? Scientific bodies. This is perhaps the, the common approach, but the mandate is very, very different. I mean, the UK Climate Change Committee uh, was the first one to be installed and, and they have a very um, broad mandate. They have a forward-looking mandate. They uh, can suggest the, um, the carbon budget for, um, for some years ahead. I think this is very important to um, have a view on the future. And they also can make proposals on policy measures. Um, these are two very important um, yeah, in, in ingredients of this council, I would say. And in Germany, as I said before, so our um, council of experts has a more limited mandate. It's rather looking back a little bit or looking at that immediate year that we have, um, checking assumptions, checking data. So, um, Yeah, it's, it's much more limited um, than, than, of course, the UK Climate Change Committee. I guess that begs the question, do you think the Council of Experts should be more like the CCC? Uh, should you have more uh, forward-looking competencies as well? At least I think it's very important to have that kind of scientific um, advice on more forward-looking issues. Um, it's also within the climate law in Germany that there is a forward-looking process. It's, it's a different track, right? It's not with a mandate of, of um, the experts council here. There are other groups in, in Germany, other councils that have a more forward-looking mandate. And um, so for me, I think also for the net, next legislation, it would be important to somehow coordinate among these different councils to come up with a more stronger advice that is useful for policymakers. Yeah, very good point. Um, so you've just published your first report, um, Assessing Germany's Emissions in 2020. And I, I had a look at it uh, pre preparing for this podcast, obviously, and, and it's a very impressive piece of work, uh, 140 pages in total. Uh, and you only had one month uh, to do all that. Um, what, what was it like to work on it? Um, and are there, are there any lessons you learned from this process for next year's report? Yeah, it was very interesting because it was really for the first time for all of us, but also for the ministries. Um, so, I mean, it was very important for us to, to put a report on the table um, that is really quite mature and that has some important messages, right? Um, it's, um, we, we put a twofold focus on, on this report, I would say. So on the one hand, we really had a deeper dive into the mechanism of this climate law and how is it really working and what does it mean and are there some pitfalls? Um, yes, there are. We identified them and made um, suggestions for um, improvement. Um, and the second point was, or second focus, I would say, was, um, I mean, the year 2020 was, of course, special 
because uh, we had the corona pandemic and emissions were really very much um, um, triggered by that effect or affected by that effect of the corona crisis and the measures to, to um, for example, with a lockdown and so on. So therefore, we, um, we tried to identify the effect of these measures. Uh, what does it mean in terms of emission reduction? What does it mean in the transport sector? And that, that was quite interesting because we could really figure out um, how much of the emission reduction was due to the lockdown. So to say it's not um, just the emission reduction in Germany, I mean, we, we had a, um, a strong emission reduction, of course, that year, but it's not due to structural change, but um, part of it, at least part of it, or a um, large part of it goes back to these, um, for example, the corona um, effects. Absolutely, and uh, I, I found it really helpful to, to to have this kind of this this transparency provided about how much is structural, how much can we expect to be um, a, a one-off, um, which I guess takes us to the uh, to the substance of the report. And uh, before we before we get into it, uh, can you uh, introduce our non-German listeners to where Germany stands when it comes to decarbonization? Yeah, I mean, I would say Germany has for a long time, very much focused on um, the expansion of renewables and less on phasing out coal, for example, and less on economic instruments, also compared to the UK, for example. Um, it has perceived itself as kind of front runner for quite a long time, but I, I would say it had, had, has lost this position over time. And that also became clear in 2019 that, um, well, emissions are not decreasing as fast as expected and coal was still on the table and it's also clear that now the 2030 targets in Germany won't be met by the measures that are already taken. So um, yeah, Germany is not the front runner anymore. Um, we have decided to phase out nuclear, that's long ago. We also have decided to phase out coal but um, only in 2038. For some that's still a very long time. Yeah, and I, I would say um, it's also important to have additional measures because the current 2030 targets are not yet met. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if, I, if I were to paraphrase, um, things aren't going great, uh, but at least uh, or perhaps they're not going as badly as they did uh, a couple of years ago. Would that, be, would, would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think... Um, um, politics has now recognized that there is a problem. And before, um, there was always this kind of narrative, Germany is the provider of solar PV and so on. I mean, what's somehow correct, that's right. But as I said, I mean, you also have to, un have to understand that, that coal is competing with the renewables. And coal was so cheap at that time that um, partly emissions increased again. So... Yeah, therefore, I would say now we are in the process of getting on track again. Okay, well, that's that's promising. So, so let's uh, let's focus on the report. Um, uh, what uh, what would you say are the most uh, are the most important findings that, uh, that 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 come out of it? Yeah, I would start with a kind of um, we, we have three pillars or three parts. 
Um, and all the three parts are important in itself, but perhaps for different audiences. Um, the first part is the evaluation of the data that is um, um, provided by the environmental agency in, in Germany. Um, this is probably not so interesting for the broader audience, but it's important to have that kind of review and that the data are really um, being assessed. That's important to, to, to give credibility to the data um, when we think of talking to, to the other ministries, when the environmental ministry one, um, talks to the other ministries. So this is the basis for the debate, right? It's probably for, for the broader audience, not so important. What I think it's um, really interesting for, for the broader audience is um, really that we try to get a picture of the corona effect. Um, it's, um, we, we have to summarize all the special effects that we have in 2020. It's very, very methodologically, very difficult to uh, really um, identify the single corona effect. This is not possible. But um, here, one interesting finding is that um, Overall, uh, when you look at the data, the building sector has failed to meet its targets. But when we account for the additional effect that we had in 2020 due, the, due to the corona crisis, it becomes clear that um, the building sector would have met its target, but not the transport sector. The transport sector is 10% above um, or would have been 10% above his um, it, its target um, when there went, was no um, um, corona. So this is a very important finding because um, this shows you that we need a more broader picture, not just to focus on this one year, but we need a broader picture in terms of structural changes. And the third part is then uh, suggestions for the improvement of this uh, Federal Change Act and the whole mechanism. Again, this is more perhaps dedicated to the policymakers who are involved in this process, not so much for the broader audience, but um, also important because, I mean, this, this climate law is new and um, there could be some improvements. Thank you. I, th I think I think the point you you make about um, this this short term focus is a really important one uh, because uh, if I if I understand it correctly, um, uh, the only reason the transport sector doesn't have to or the transport ministry now uh, doesn't have to prepare a program for what they can do to uh, um, to further lower emissions in the uh, in the transport sector is Corona. Um, and uh, so there's nothing there's nothing structural about it. So in a way. This is this is something from which other countries can learn that perhaps a too short-term and too sectoral approach isn't sensible when it comes to uh, when it comes to long-term decarbonization. Exactly. I mean, this is really the problem. And um, here, I mean, in all the other sectors, it's it's much more difficult to to single out this corona effect. Um, but in the transport sector, we made an additional analysis, and you can really detect um, and attribute these lockdown phases. Uh, to the emissions, and, and here we have a very clear picture of what happened. The emissions in the transport sector would be 10% higher, um, so th therefore we really have a clear number. And I think what, what this shows is that you need to look a little bit more um, in the, into the future. Perhaps not until 2030, because then a lot of additional assumptions come in, and it's mm. always very difficult how will GDP develop and so on. But to have a look for the next one or two years, um, that would be quite important. So therefore, our suggestion is um, 
in the climate law, they say when a target is not met in this sector, then the ministry has to propose an immediate um, action program. And what we say is we need an additional mechanism also for those sectors who, who meet their target, but where we see some structural problems or when uncertainties come into play. And, and we say that there should be a second kind of checkup mechanism um, to see whether also when the target is being met, whether some additional measures are, are required. So yeah, uh, very good point. And I, I, so I guess that's on your that's on your personal and but also on the council's wish list uh, wish list as Germany enters uh, the campaigning season for the parliamentary elections in fall. Like, are there are there any other uh, climate and or council related items on your on, on your wish list for the electoral campaigns? Yeah, my my personal wish list is really that uh, ideal would be a, a, a whole of government approach for Germany, right? So perhaps similar to the US. And I think Germany also started with that because in 2019, um, um, Chancellor Merkel invented the so-called climate cabinet. And she put together all the six ministries who are somehow involved in, in the climate issue from buildings, agriculture, transport, and so on. And um, this is not just the climate cabinet, but also the state secretaries are involved in that. And um, so there are different layers, you could say, from, from different um, levels in the ministries involved. And I would strongly suggest to continue with that kind of approach because um, some now call for a, for a own climate ministry, but I would not go for that. I, I would say it's, a, it's, it's rather, um, it's important to have a mainstreaming approach of this climate issue and this climate cabinet approach, I, I think it wasn't too bad. So I would continue with that one. That's a really good point. And it reminds me of a discussion that uh, that always comes up in the in the topic of uh, digital, um, uh, digi the digital transformation of, of everything. I mean, you get people calling for a ministry for digital affairs or for, for, or for digitalization. And uh, I think it kind of misses the point because everything needs to go digital uh, and uh, just as everything needs to go climate neutral. So, so, setting up a, so setting up a separate ministry to kind of uh, uh, take care of that, uh, well, you would kind of create a ministry of ministries. So you might as well keep the original ministries and make them really commit to uh, to net zero um, uh, emissions, right? Exactly. So therefore, I think we need a cross-ministerial approach. And, and I think the climate cabinet is is a way to go forward. Interesting. Thank you. So um, before we get to, to the end uh, of the podcast, uh, I would uh, like to take it a bit to the European level, um, which, which, of course, also features in your, uh, in your report. Um, what, what does the tightening of European targets under the European Green Deal mean for Germany? Yeah, very certainly um, the pathway towards 2030 will be more ambitious or has to become more ambitious. It's still the question whether this is um, this will lead to um, more ambitious sectoral targets in Germany. It might also be um, covered by the European um, um, governance mechanism. But in the end, of course, Germany has to deliver a quite more ambitious pathway. That's quite clear. Currently, Germany has a target of 55% until 2030 um, um, compared to 1990. And we made estimates that this pathway has to change towards 62 to 68%. So 
medium um, 65%, that would mean an additional 10 percentage points more than we currently have. And the question is, uh, what is happening at the European level? I mean, many things are being discussed, whether the effort sharing regulation will be um, um, adjusted, uh, whether we will have more ambitious national targets, or whether we will see a second emission trading system for buildings and transport at the European level. So this depends very much. But what I think one thing is very clear, I said before that Germany um, has the plan to phase out coal by 2038. But now we have a more ambitious European climate target. And of course, the European emission trading system will be adjusted. And that will mean that Germany will probably have to phase out coal by 2030, so much earlier. So the European Green Deal in terms of targets um, will definitely have a very strong effect on, on the whole German um, targets and, and, of course, also on the, on the measures to, to achieve these targets. Uh, I mean, this it, it's an interesting point. So uh, I agree if, if the European Green Deal comes, the kind of the, the German coal exit compromise would be uh, would be mute. Uh, in, in, in your view, d does that mean that the coal commission and this whole process we went through uh, wasn't wasn't necessary? Or do you think I mean, you, you do get people saying that uh, the, the European Green Deal is only possible because the uh, the issue of German coal has been has been solved, and you don't have kind of the the, uh, the combined forces of of the German energy industry and German industry running against the European Green Deal to protect to, to protect German coal. I would agree that it's it's more the latter case. So um, with the Coal Commission that somehow prepared the way that Germany is able to agree on a higher EU target. I think this is now quite clear. It's more a political economy argument, but um, without the coal compromise, I don't think that Germany um, could have agreed on this higher EU target. And concerning coal, I mean, I was also skeptical with the coal commission a little bit, and I, I wished for a more economic approach, for example, with a additional carbon floor price in addition to the EU ETS price at the, at the national scale as the UK did. But in the end, I think it was the German way to do that. And um, the major part of the money goes to the coal regions. And it's because uh, there the, the needs to be kind of uh, yeah, structural change and, um, and they need support for the coal regions. And this is the, the bulk of the money. And this has to be paid anyway, right? Because we need um, these people also need to be supported. So therefore, I think in the end, the coal compromise was okay because it's now a common sense in Germany. It's a consensus. Um, and yeah, over the, with the Green Deal, we will now see an earlier phase out. But I think everybody is, is aware of that. And uh, we have already this supporting mechanism for for, for the um, coal mining regions um, that we have already installed to the coal compromise. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a very good point. I, th I think there's a, 
I think there is a question whether whether the regions um, that definitely do need support would have would have been in as good a negotiating position uh, without a coal com uh, commission and would would have gotten just as much um, uh, in, in a in a similar format. But of course, it doesn't change anything about uh, the fundamental need to do something and uh, about the regions and to provide uh, new 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 good jobs there, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we have to watch whether this money is really given for the right things, right? It's so um, is it really um, supporting people um, in the coal mining regions? Is it really supporting structural change? Or where does the money go? And I think it's very important to track um, where this coal region money goes in Germany. Absolutely. So, uh One of the one of the things that uh, that the European Green Deal will also bring is a is a European scientific scientific advisory board on climate change, uh, which has uh, which has similarities uh, to to both the CCC in Britain and the uh, and the German Council of Experts. Uh, what, based on your experience, uh, what would be your advice to the European institutions as they set up this advisory board? I would say the guiding idea should be along the lines of the UK Climate Change Committee. It's a, it's a very strong committee. Uh, what I also find interesting that it's um, being chaired by a person who's not a scientist, but it's um, a person who has the political credibility. I think that's very important also to be able to talk um, to the policymakers and to know their constraints. Um, so therefore ingredients would be also to, to have some forward-looking elements um, in the mandate and also to, a mandate to suggest policy measures. I think this is uh, really important um, in the whole process. Excellent. Thank you very much. This has been a really interesting conversation uh, about the role of experts and how they advise uh, political decision makers. Uh, before we close, uh, we like... Um, taking our guests through a couple of concepts uh, in the energy transition and ask them for their opinion whether they are overrated or underrated. Um, you can make this a, a, an overrated or underrated uh, one-word answer, or you can add one or two sentences of explanation, but please not uh, not much more than that. We'd really like to get your, your, your unfiltered opinion, as it were. Uh, the first concept uh, I brought today is the role of markets in the energy transition. Overrated and underrated at the same time. Um, underrated in reality and overrated in theory. Interesting. Uh, the second would be negative emissions technologies. Clearly underrated because they will become much more important when we take 1.5 degree uh, seriously. Thank you. Thirdly, models to analyze the future of energy systems. Overrated. Um, I once was a modeler myself and I know how sensitive they are. So for me, they are no more a tool um, to facilitate the discussion about future pathways. Very good. And fourthly and finally, Germany's image as a driver of the global energy transition. Overrated, but in history, Germany was really a driver of solar PV, and I think that made solar PV very cheap for the whole world. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to talk to you, um, and uh, um, all the best, and hopefully uh, let's catch up soon. Thank you, Hans. 
that was Hans Koenig, who leads the consulting business of Aurora in Central Europe, talking to Brigitte Knopf, the Secretary-General of the MCC. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.